Hello there, and greetings to you. Welcome to Duel of the Takes, the movie and pop culture podcast that pins the wildest, most unpopular opinions head-to-head. Today, we are going to be ranking the filmography of acclaimed director Christopher Nolan. My name's Nathaniel Martin, and I'm joined by my regular co-hosts, Joshua Kubis, Alden Mason, and Jory Boston. All right, so off the bat, which of these movies is most relatable to everybody? We know mine is Insomnia. (laughs) Memento. (laughs) Are you doing okay, Holman? Sure, I'm organized. (sighs) Batman Begins. (laughs) Are you training to be a (laughs) new? Or are you being off your ass at a party? (laughs) Like, I don't feel good about it, but the real answer for me is probably following. I feel like that's the most similar to Nightcrawler on this list. God damn it. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Duel of the Takes. Today, we are talking about, uh, I don't know, the, the legacy of Christopher Nolan is a very sour subject, not only in early 2021, but I would say in like his whole filmography, he's put out some bangers put out some uh, movies that have made us scratch our heads for weeks on end, and has also put out some movies that, honestly, some of us might not have seen. Uh, At least not on this panel. Every single one of us has watched all 11 of these movies. I'm really happy to announce that. I think this is the first time that's happened. This is the jewel of the takes first. Good job, guys. We actually did our homework. Everyone did their homework. Season two off to a great start. This topic has been in the... uh, been with our show since its inception. Wow. I see what you did there. Uh, we've been we've been sitting on this episode idea for quite a while, and we've all been able to catch up, see the movies that we haven't. Tenet has came and went, and now it's available to rent, so thankfully all of us were able to see it. It's weird, because now, like, Nolan is no longer with Warner Brothers, or at least so he says, mm-hmm. where he's put out the last nine of his movies, so... Let's not make this a Batman episode, guys. Well, we'll see about that. All right, so the way that this list is going to work, we all have one veto that we are allowed to use until the top four. You're a big list for you. <laughs> This isn't actually that big of a list. It's only 11 movies. But yeah, we all have a veto that we can use until the top four. And today's order is going to be something a little different. I don't know if we've done it this way before. Josh is going to go first, then Jory, then Alden, then myself. Oh, shit. I feel like uh, that's a format that we haven't done before. Usually it either starts with Alden or Josh or uh, the, or Jory, and then it works down the call from there. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. We're going to hop around a little bit this time and see how it works. I think the first Nolan movie that I saw in theaters was technically Batman Begins because I saw The Dark Knight Rises at a midnight showing that also had a triple feature of all three. Wow. I remember vividly being really upset at my mom because I wanted to see The Dark Knight when it came out and she would not take me and she went with work friends to go see it instead. My first was a similar situation. It was The Dark Knight Rises after I had seen a double feature of Batman Begins and uh, The Dark Knight like at home and then just went to the theater and watched the third one. Yeah. I don't know if you guys all know the story. I don't know if I ever talked about it on air. I saw the dark night with my dad, but then my mother and sister went to see Wally. Cause my sister was like pretty young at the time. She was probably like four or five years old. And um, the, of course, Wally finished before the dark night and they come into them to watch the rest of the movie with us. And it's like at the end and Grace is going, is that two face? She had no idea. Joker was in the movie. <laughs> She thought Two-Face was the main villain for, like, the entire movie. I mean, he is. Yeah. Josh, what is Christopher Nolan's worst movie, the number 11 on your list? I'm sorry, boys. I had a, I had a great time watching this with y'all this past couple months, but Tenet is my number 11. 
Hey, Nate. Yeah, what's up, Jory? We live in a twilight world, huh? We live in a twilight world in where Nate's using his veto in the first round. God damn it, Nate. You're supposed to say there are no friends at dusk. I'm vetoing. I don't think it's a bad movie by any means, but um, I found it uh, pretty, like, disappointing to me personally i've i've seen it twice now i don't know out of all these movies it's not the one that i'm trying to get back to and um i don't know i just found the film disappointing i don't think it's a terrible movie i don't think any of these movies are bad movies that i 100 percent agree with you there josh that i don't think any of these movies are bad i do think he has um i, I want to say like a handful of movies that just don't really like hit home for me <clears throat> same and i agree that tenet is one of those i i think it misses as much as it attempts to do something but i do think what it executes is very impressive and what it like leaves behind while very self-indulgent of nolan and his style perhaps his most self-indulgent movie i kind of like that i think that this movie is going to stand out in his filmography as kind of being like the falling off point in a in a way but we've all seen it coming for a little bit now as long as you've been aware to his releases since we've been seeing his movies in theaters they've kind of all had the same issues that being said i found its plot thoroughly engaging the first time watching it and then upon a second time kind of knowing the information they give us at the end which is something that you get in a lot of his best movies as well. There's a fun rewatch in there. And personally, now that you know the story and the plot and the devices don't make any sense, there's no like baggage to it to me. Like, I think that the fact that it creates these rules and has this like pseudo logic to it and then just like kind of says fuck it is a lot of fun. And if this movie were just on in the background, I think I would enjoy it a lot more than other movies. The movie that I'm going to nominate in its place is the film Insomnia, and I'm going to put this at number 11. Hmm, where's that on my list? Hold on. My case here for Insomnia is that I think it's a very forgotten movie in Nolan's filmography, and I think probably for one major reason, it doesn't feel like he is the sole driving force of this film, and it's because he's not. Um, right after the success of Memento, he, he signed to a studio contract with Warner Brothers, and they wanted to do a remake of, I believe, a... Swedish film of the same name, which stars your boy Bootstrap Bill, Stellan Skarsgård, in the same role as um, uh, Al Pacino, and actually, I think, plays the character a little bit better and more honest. The whole film of Insomnia uh, just kind of feels like it, it drags, and I get that might be the purpose. I think the uh, original foreign film actually does it a little bit better because it's got a shorter runtime but it uses like longer takes, whereas Insomnia feels very much like a Hollywood movie. And it doesn't even like have Nolan's best attributes in it. And it just comes from the fact that this wasn't like his dream project. He's one of those directors who's notorious for doing one for them and then one for himself. And this was the first time he did one for them. I actually have Insomnia at my number eight. Um, I, I like Insomnia. It didn't crack my top five or anything. I have it, I think, higher than Tenet. And I think it's I think it's all going to come down to what you prefer. I think um, Insomnia is a little more inviting to me because it has um, a main character that I find that I found really interesting of where his path was going to go, especially after an event with his partner. <laughs> That's a very nice way of putting it. And I think it's actually one of the more underrated Robin Williams performances. We were talking about it. Um, I agree. I agree. And I think the third act is like some, like some really good Nolan to me. Where like Nolan's really good at creating suspense, like that edge of your seat type, like um, not action, but um, 
I noticed that in other movies on this list too, where I've always, my favorite parts were always in the third acts. And I think Insomnia, Insomnia has that where it's, um, it is slow, but I, I think it's got a kind of weak second act, but, um, I could kind of say that for some of these other movies, I prefer following like more character driven movies. And I know that's not what Tenet is supposed to be. I couldn't connect to any of the characters in Tenet. I understand that. I just feel like in terms of where I'm coming at with this, with my personal list, and I guess we don't have to ride that same train in our group list. I kind of put these in like the order in which I would want to rewatch them or like the general entertainment value I got out of them. And I, I think Insomni is actually a really, really good movie. Uh, it just doesn't feel like a Christopher Nolan movie. And I also think it's like one of his movies that suffers the most from a rewatch just because once you know how the plot unfolds and the story unfolds the the only real like device that kind of hooks me in still is that robin williams performance but and i love seeing him as a villain i wish he had the opportunity to do it more because i think it's the highlight of this film i wish he was in the movie more i think that's a big detriment to the film also i think pacino's been a lot better in other movies like this is a fine performance but it's not a great one from him pacino was just wandering out of his trailer sleep deprived (laughs) that scene uh with him and robin williams on the boat i do think is kino though two great actors just acting their asses off to each other i think it's pretty great what nate was talking about before that was me like a couple hours ago watching this movie i was like halfway through and i was like where the fuck is robin williams i recognize like his voice on the phone i'm like all right he's coming soon and then like another half hour goes by (laughs) he's like hey gabagool i'm uh, robin williams i got a clown nose on honk honk it's me patch adams (laughs) i'm killing children i beat a little girl to death in 10 minutes I didn't mean to kill her. It took you 10 minutes. Yeah, it only took you a second to kill your partner. Not to turn it into a Batman episode, but was this the reason why the Robin Williams Riddler rumors were so hard? Hey, riddle me this, Batman. What do you get when a divorced dad needs to see his kids? (laughs) (laughs) I'm really torn right now because, like, both of these movies are in my bottom three, but there is one movie that is in my last place, and I don't know if I want to use my veto yet. Two vetoes in the first in the first movie. I think that would be a first time ever. <laughs> Holy shit. I don't want to pull a Nate Martin. I am gonna say right now I do have jurisdiction on ties. I know Josh is a little butthurt about it, but it's just the way it is. So I also have a movie below both of these, but honestly, insomnia is lower than tenant. Okay, okay, okay. You know what? You know what? Whatever. I'm gonna do it. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> I'm gonna veto. And I am going to nominate Dunkirk. Holy shit. Oh. I'm going to veto. Oh my god. Wait, Alden, what are you vetoing? Holy shit. I'm putting Inception. Whoa. Whoa. Bruh. What the fuck just happened? What happened? Okay. Wow. Josh, are you going to veto? No. <laughs> Just get them all out of the way at number 11. I'm voting Insomnia here. Holy shit. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. What I have to say about Dunkirk here, a little bit of what Josh was saying with Tenet kind of being like a disappointment. And I know that there was like a lot of buildup to that movie specifically because it was like the thing that was going to try to see how audiences felt about going to see movies during the pandemic while it was still going on. And that didn't end up panning out well. And that, No, the pandemic's over, Jory. I said it last episode. But that didn't end up panning out well. And um, the movie that people thought they were risking their lives to see ended up being Tenet, which wasn't great. I don't know. I'm happy we all risked our lives and went to screen. Yeah, me too. I had a great time seeing it. 
Shout out to shout out to Mike Speranzo. Shout out to Mike. I feel like Dunkirk was the first time that I was like actively disappointed by a Christopher Nolan movie in the theater. It's got the whole like non-chronological storytelling and I understand why it's done in this case. It's to like emulate the confusing way that that actual communication was given on that on the day history in a historical context, which is like cool and all, I suppose. For me, it just makes the movie a little bit more of a confusing experience to watch and not in a good way where it's like I'm piecing stuff together. It's like, oh, okay, I guess like he he comes out here now. And then like the scene that we saw before, it doesn't really add anything for me. It suffers from something that I talk about a lot whenever we talk about uh, Star Wars Rogue One, which is I feel like all great war movies need to have great characters and this one just kind of doesn't have them. This one doesn't have Matt Damon in the third act. Yeah, Matt Damon's not in this movie. How am I supposed to like it? <laughs> yeah, I definitely can understand where you're coming from, Jory. Uh, where there's not really like a solid like cast to kind of hold on to. The big name actors that mostly like do their best to carry it. Like you got Kenneth Branagh standing on a like pier and pier, like looking up at the sky over and over again. <laughs> imagine if imagine if Matt Damon showed up in the third act of two war movies. <laughs> he comes to save the British. Now he comes to, he comes to help the Germans. <laughs> <laughs> but like to me it felt really weird. It like the most memorable character in this movie for me is Harry Styles just being Harry Styles in this movie. You see him and you're like there he is. Yeah it feels like all characters aren't carried by their character but the fact that like oh that's like an a-list celebrity that i know i think with most of his face being covered tom hardy brings a lot to the role because like i feel like in in his role as like that pilot guy who's always like isolated in his own story there's like a lot going on in terms of like the technical uh like the practical effects and like the cinematography there which I think like that sequence alone is really good. The stuff with Killian Murphy on the boat is interesting, but it should be its own like movie. It feels too detached from everything else that's going on. And then I agree, like the main like foot soldier stuff is good and it's like suspenseful in time, like at times, but through most of it, I'm just like, why do we need to see this? So I, I agree, there's definitely a lot of self-indulgence in Dunkirk as well. But again, those like technical achievements. If this movie had two characters you could relate to, didn't hold back its punches in in those like actual active like duty war sequences. I credit it's PG thirteen. Also, I feel actively detracts from this movie quite a bit. This movie could be in my top five if it just had those elements for me. Yeah, I completely agree. And I feel like the fact that it's that close, but it just misses things that I sh feel should be obvious for a movie like this, a movie in the war film genre just makes it even more baffling to me and it seems like nolan is more comfortable in that realm because he kind of doubles down on it a little bit in tenet oh yeah big time yeah he's got these really impressive uh action set pieces that are really interesting to watch from a technical and just a visual standpoint the emotional like the ethos isn't behind it so the audience is just like that's cool but like i i'm kind of just here <laughs> as robert downey jr in zodiac says this can't be ignored. Alden, why do you think Inception is the worst Christopher Nolan movie? I, I want to say it's probably because it was so hyped up before. And every, I don't think anyone gave me a bad review. They all said it was incredible. One of their favorite films for a lot of them. And it's just, it didn't even come close to my expectations. I really like the cast in it. 
I do like a huge portion of it, but I just think overall, I cannot prefer it over some of these other films, including Insomnia. You mean all of these other films? Yeah. I think Inception does have a couple of like, I don't want to say faults because like, I feel like it's definitely, it knows what it's doing, but I do think there's a lot of like, but the information's revealed in a way where it's like, okay, like I understand what's happening now. Can we move on? And then it like still goes on a little bit more. That is my main problem with it. Not only with like explaining the concept and like the, like the dream manipulation and like that dream heist. Like I get you have to explain that shit. Otherwise you have a movie like Tenet. I get that <laughs> even within like Cobb and his wife and the way things are spelt out, like in a stronger Nolan movie, those would just be like quick flashes of memory. Whereas like their whole scenes and I get like Marion Cotillard is phenomenal in that role, but it's like, I don't need to see them fighting in an, uh, in an apartment or a hotel room for fucking 20 minutes before we get back to what's going on. I do think that there's some like indulgence in Inception that takes it down a step for me, but no way in hell is it number 11. Like I, lo- I love your boldness, Alden, but I can't see it. There's so many great, just it changed the way movie scores were for like a decade. This is another Lion King take from you. This this might be worse. I I stand by that. But I I just rewatched Inception the other night and um I didn't realize how good the pacing was. I think it's a really well paced movie. I feel like Inception is probably I don't know about the movie that like benefits from a rewatch the most, but it certainly it really feels like it. It's close to it. Yeah, it's on Netflix right now. Like it is a real. I had a really good rewatch with it the other night. And how simple a lot of the effects that go into it are, whereas like where Nolan is now with his stuff, he's like, we're crashing a plane in every movie that I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) But like Inception, like people are still like, holy shit, did you know that he built a corridor? (laughs) So between Insomnia, Tenet, and Inception, (laughs) and Dunkirk, (laughs) and Dunkirk. I think it's going Insomnia. Out of all those movies, if Tenet can't be there, it's either Dunkirk or Insomnia for me, but it's Nate's got jurisdiction. Dunkirk and Tenet are like coming up soon. They have enough diehard fans that would like make a case for those being higher. I think there's people that would have Dunkirk in their top three. I think there's people that would have Tenet in their top five. I may be one of those people. (laughs) But Insomnia, again, I just think when you get a director as great as Nolan to do like a remake of a movie, you kind of want their flair added to it. And I guess like if his flair is just elongated run times, then maybe, but there really isn't too much changed from the original foreign film to this besides uh, the two, two main actors. Granted, good performances, but this is the least Nolan Nolan movie. And I'd rather elevate. That's the first thing I noticed. Yeah, I'd rather elevate more Nolan movies in a list dedicated to this guy. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you have swayed me. Number 11, Insomnia. All right, before Jory falls asleep, it's your turn to place number 10. Why is it Dunkirk? Uh, It's Dunkirk. For all the reasons that I stated previously, it's just as impressive as a lot of the stuff that goes into this movie is. I really wish that there was a reason for me to care about the people who are going through these horrors other than just like, a yeah, Dunkirk was a real thing. It's like, okay, I know that's what that's what historical fiction is. I feel too responsible right now with like the only veto now. <laughs> yeah, you've got a lot of pressure, Maggie. My God. You might as well just get it out of the way now so you don't have to like... Oh no, Dunkirk, Dunkirk's my number 10. I agree with Jory here. <laughs> Man, 
I think the visuals are incredible, and that's why it had it overtended for me. But once again, it's my same issue with Tenet. There's just no, there's no connection with characters, and you're just supposed to like to feel emotion because they're in a war, and I hate that. It feels forced. And there's no build up to it. And I think that's just a really shitty script to me. Like, I'm sorry, just write characters, just write characters. You know what I think is like the emotional, like, like climax of this movie almost for me, like the only part in the theater that I felt affected was when they were all on that, uh, on that ship and they were finally getting a little bit of respite and they were getting fed and stuff. And then the torpedo comes and the ship just gets fucked. See, that scene is like kind of horrifying. Like that was, that was great stuff. I just wish that if they were being that confident and trying to just be like, all right, we're not really going to write characters. We're just going to show you people in peril. They would have gone with an R rating because it would have been so much easier for me to actually feel that. Yeah, I I think the segment that stands out the most to me in terms of like an emotional impact and in terms of like characters is again, the part with like Mark Rylance and Killian Murphy on like that lifeboat where they're like going to save as many people as they can. And like, I, I think that that's where like the real heart of the story lies. And I think it just deserved a little bit more screen time like that honestly could have been the movie it's my favorite part of the movie this the soldier with like shell shock like knocks that fucking kid and like fucking like busts his head open and like i he fucking dies i'm sorry i thought that was funny when i watched it in the theater like he just knocks him down like three steps and then he's dead and then they're talking about him for the entire movie like he was such a hero and i'm like bro what those are the characters that i found myself like being uh like the emotional heart of that film and i think like if they just got more focus then you could understand where this movie goes the reason i wouldn't put this movie this low but i'm okay with it being this low is i think that those war sequences although not great like movie that they're some of the best like world war ii directed sequences that i can think of i mean you have like a modern high budget the technology that nolan uses for his films and he's kind of pushing the envelope in terms of like big scope movies doing a war movie i like saving private ryan a lot and i think like the first act of that movie is really strong but it gets so like soap opera-y towards the second and third act where it's like it it doesn't feel real and i think like where a lot of the love for like dunkirk is is like that lack of human emotion does feel more like war to some people i don't think it makes for a great movie but i think it does have some really well directed sequences so i would elevate it a little higher i guess not on this list dunkirk number 10 that's why i have it so high on my list is it looks sounds amazing and it's i agree has the best war sequences that i've ever seen number 10 but it's not but it's not 1917 it's better than 1917 can we all just say that it is so much better than 1917 it really just skips that middle ground between the soap opera and just having no story though and i'm like almost feels like a documentary in terms of like the emotion like because like in like a walter cronkite like documentary look if they had like richard attenborough or like ken burns narrating over this movie it would probably be like a mid-tier nolan movie for me there's just a commentary track with ken burns of the movie dunkirk (laughs) and he sees home alden it's your turn to upset people what is your number nine man inception okay josh so wait let me do the math here we're at number eight right we're at number nine alden just out of curiosity what is your number nine because i know we know that in uh inception is your number 11 following is my number nine well, either way, I'm vetoing. Yeah. What hasn't been placed yet? I think this is a good spot for Tenet. I'm vetoing. I 
Agree. I don't think it should really go any higher. So I have Tenet and Inception right next to each other on my list. I do have Inception higher, obviously. I think that they're the two most similar movies on this list, which is kind of odd because there's a whole trilogy of movies that have yet to be discussed. (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of like the plot, the scope and the ambition, Tenet and Inception are riding the same wave. Inception thrives in a lot of areas where Tenet doesn't, specifically in its characters and in the motivation of what the fuck's going on and this like mind fuckery like premise uh tenet has a little bit more fun with it i think and just kind of goes a little bit more balls to the wall but inception's the better movie i watched them side by side literally i shit you not i had a uh, tenet pulled up on my laptop the way christopher nolan intended and then i had inception on my tv and i was i hit play at the same time and i was looking for the points in which like my brain just checked out of one screen over the other and i was looking at inception a lot more than i was tenet and tenet was physically closer to my face <laughs> people think they've seen a movie on their fucking telephone get real this is probably gonna mess up my dark knight rises agenda but inception can't go here i agree with everything nate's saying but i think that the difference between tenet and inception is a little more vast at least quality wise on my list so yeah i really want tenet to go here and i think that we should be talking about inception much later yeah i agree but if we are going to be talking about tenet here there's some things i gotta mention i think this has one of the most entertaining like movie villains in quite a while honestly i really like kenneth brana as this like stereotypical russian dude with like a ticking time bomb on his life he's got his like fitbit and cares a lot about his steps and shit (laughs) stereotypical like bond level villain in the middle of like this high budget nolan movie which granted he is going for this like spy aesthetic and things i really like how uh his like battered wife kind of gets her revenge in a way i think there's like a lot of really really great like payoffs with this character I think the biggest problem with this film is that first act because it takes so long to even introduce his character trimming like 40 minutes out of the first act and just got to the story and what this is about more i think a lot of my major problems with it would just wipe away like don't even bother try to explain this like time reverse thing like it doesn't matter it is what it is like just start it when the when they're at the airport the art heist yeah the first 40 to 50 minutes of this movie do nothing in my opinion other than confuse the audience they try so hard to try and explain what like inversion is it doesn't even come close to the scene where you actually see them go into the rotunda and it immediately just clicks with you jory did you notice in the first act the girl that's explaining everything is what's her name from goblet of fire oh my god did you put your name in the goblet of fire <laughs> it's that uh it's the girl from the other school that ron likes you don't know her guys she goes to another school <laughs> Speaking of the first act of this movie, why is Michael Caine in this movie? He doesn't need to be there. Alden, what what makes you uh, say Tenet over Inception? Because that really like picks my brain. I, I want to know why. I think genuinely just my disappointment with Inception kind of supersedes my issues with Tenet. Tenet is not much higher. It's still low on my list, but I really enjoyed watching Tenet. I do agree with the with the first act stuff. It's just a weird buildup, but whatever. I think Inception does have better characters. One, they have names. Um, <laughs> that's a that's a big element, you know. I feel like possibly upon rewatch i could like inception more but just i was so upset after watching it the first time that i it's it's gonna take me a while to come back to it have you seen it more than once no 
that explains it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Upon rewatch, I might like it more, but right now I do not. I feel that. I I, uh, I had a similar situation with Inception too. I didn't like catch this one in theaters or anything, but uh, I was like first really getting into like like film and writing and kind of like just studying like the narrative structure of like stories and movies that I had liked and all of my friends at the time were like recommending Inception to me and then like I was also going through like the IMDb top 250 at the time of uh, making a watch list out of it and so like at the time I think Inception was like number three or four and this is in like 2013 or 14 Yeesh. damn really like okay so this is like a modern masterpiece I'm really gonna have to like give this my time and so I watched it with a friend who it was his favorite movie I understood kind of like where the plot was going and stuff but this this movie also like started those like ending explained trends on fucking YouTube, which I don't know if you guys remember like circa 2012 YouTube, but that shit was cringe. Every movie that came out had an ending explained video on it. And I just think it had like a little too much hype going in into it for me where I did feel that same like letdown that you're talking about. I don't need an ending explained for Inception. Everything in that movie was... <laughs> flat out explained to me in some way whereas tenet it does leave a lot for me to actually think about and try to figure out myself inception left nothing for me the thing about that is tenet's ex explanations actively detract from your experience i disagree i leave the tenet movie not giving a fuck <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being completely honest here if i didn't talk to nate while i was watching tenet for the first time i would have been in the same shoes as josh and in fact i was before i leaned over to nate and i was like nate do you understand what's happening right now i'll never forget when they're in that scene where they're like explaining the battle and you have aaron taylor johnson planning out the battle i think that's when i got up and took a lap or took a lap around the theater it was like i'm kick ass and i'm here to kill godzilla josh leans over to me he's like is that aaron taylor johnson i was like i don't think it is and then he gets up takes a lap he comes back he's like that's aaron taylor johnson i'm like yeah it is and then in the beginning troy's like yo it's lockhart i'm like wait what the fuck yeah who knows where this whole army of mercenaries come from all i know is it delivered a really kino sequence <laughs> like I, I don't know i i like the whole like i do like the battle <laughs> there's like this like whole army of people that are fighting it, the battle in reverse and then people that are fighting it in normal time and buildings are like exploding in reverse i'm like this is all so cool i like that people legit died in it and robert pattinson's just like i'll get him the next time i'll don't worry yeah i feel like i really we got more like hand-to-hand -hand, like inversion versus like regular time stream people whereas like the third act kind of just being like a skirmish i was like what yeah. <laughs> it felt like a really fun paintball game but it wasn't what i wanted out of the movie the last physical shot of the movie is pretty keno when like for a second aaron taylor johnson is like i'm doing a heel turn i'm actually gonna kill both of you no i'm not <laughs> he's like just kidding <laughs> lol jk he's like was your expectations subverted how come building like that lincoln log connect machine thing out of like an algorithm apparently that's just a mathematical equation how does that destroy the world and why doesn't it destroy the world when they have it built what happened here hasn't happened yet i don't know i really like the whole way they set up like robert pattinson's been this like time bandit and he's just been like fixing glitches in like the timeline for who knows how long is like premeditating everything do we all fall into the theory that robert pattinson is what's her name's son 
Absolutely. Oh no, I, I think I think that's true. I think that's where they were going with it. I think they just like don't bring it up at all in the movie, but the way that it's shot and the way that they focus on her son a lot and it's all she ever talks about, it's like it's it has to be him. He's the only other blonde guy in this movie. I think she said like he's the key to all this and that, and Robert Pattinson's character pretty much is. He is the key to the 2021 box office. I agree. <laughs> he's the key to the future of cinema. I agree. God, I hope so. We're only at eight. <laughs> I have a couple of movies that we haven't placed yet lower than eight. And I think I'm going to make the decision to put following here, which is a movie that I really, really enjoy. And I'm glad that I gave it a watch again. Saw this around the same time I first saw Inception. Go through that IMDb, again, top 250 list. Following was sitting around like the... 180-ish mark, I think. I don't think it's on the list anymore, but I really, really, really appreciate this movie for having like a $4,000 budget or something like that. As someone who has worked on like films with a higher budget than that at this point in my life, uh, granted uh, adjusted for inflation and different mediums and things now in terms of this being shot on film, uh, I believe it was 16 millimeter black and white film. I think that this might be one of the best directed Nolan movies actually. I just don't think the story has a lot to like go back to uh, personally, I, I think like upon a rewatch, I admired what it was able to do with so little. It didn't like make me want to watch it again or to like have this in my personal collection or anything. It's really impressive. It really is. If you're interested at ma in making movies at all and you like Nolan and you haven't seen following watch his watch this fucking movie because it is probably one of the greatest feature debuts out of any director I can think of. And it's my number four. Damn, really? That's based. I wish I loved it that much. I really admired the film. I kind of I kind of wanted to push it into the top five, but I could see why it's not in the top five. I really thought you were going to say Batman Begins, and I was about to hard agree. Well, that's, that's next. So that's what I was going to put at. I think it would only really please audiences that have the same kind of like film knowledge that we do. Like I couldn't imagine turning on this black and white movie made in like 1997 to my friends and family. They would all think that I'm like really pretentious. I, I think there's some good performances in this movie, but I think like the ensemble as a whole, you can kind of tell they're like friends of Christopher Nolan, like, you know, doing a favor, not getting paid and just the acting's good. You can tell that they rehearsed a lot before they're like the takes because they're running on such a tight budget. So they're doing the scenes four or five times and then literally just recording and trying to get everything at once. I also think some of like the outside shots are a little like granted, I shot a movie last year and my like my handheld shots were really shaky and I'm shooting on digital, which is a lot easier than film. So I'm not trying to be nitpicky, but there's a lot of times where I'm like, just put it on a fucking tripod. Which it starts with a dolly shot, which is really cool. I think he rented a dolly for a day to show that he knew the rules of filmmaking. And then the rest of it's like handheld. You can tell that there's a good mind behind this movie. I really like it, but I don't think other people would. And I'd rather elevate some other like favorites of people than this one that might only resonate for a handful of people listening. Damn, I was the pretentious one this episode. I don't know. I feel like even if you're not into like, you know, the nerd side of filmmaking like Nate is, even if you're just a fan of Nolan, I think that this is an especially interesting directorial debut because there's so much that you can directly track in the rest of his filmography to come later that has like origins in this movie. 
like we were kind of joking about it as all of us were re-watching it there's so much that just like comes up again later in his career be it like a superficial thing the main character who i believe remains nameless the answer or no his name is bill his apartment having like a batman sigil on the door to the other name just being Cobb to it about being to it being about like thieves and somebody being taken under the wing to somebody who's already established in this world to explain all of the rules like it's things that he would do constantly throughout the rest of his career and I don't think that we see that stopping anytime soon as more notoriety as Nolan gains the more interesting this film is going to be to go back to Bill reminds me of a uh, report of the week he's always just walking around with his like eyes wide open in like a suit it reminds me of the, the report of the week he kind of reminds me of a uh, food bra <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's food bra i've never actually watched this is running on empty i'm in your apartment <laughs> <laughs> all right well i'm sorry to let you down josh i know i'm the film nerd but you're the pretentious one this episode <laughs> i guess so <laughs> <laughs> following number eight uh we're back to you josh number seven. Oh shit following really uh fucked up my list here it was going pretty well for me until then i don't want to be the one to do it but i think batman begins belongs here uh, it's i'm sorry jory i think number seven is a fine spot i think it's plenty generous my number seven on my personal list is memento but wow whoa what the fuck <laughs> listen jory i have interstellar higher than memento because of you i don't want i don't want to hear it from you <laughs> I, I never asked for that josh i have memento higher than interstellar well I think Memento's a really fine movie. Probably seven on are movies that I think are really, really good. But Batman Begins is my number nine, so it's got to go here for me. Yeah, I have Batman Begins at number nine as well. It's the lowest of the Dark Knight trilogy for me as well. But you can tell it was the director's first swing at like a graphic novel adaptation or a superhero movie because he made them so so grounded to reality they just kind of feel like crime and like almost mystery thrillers not quite where i think batman begins really gets it right is in like just the physical portrayal of batman and i think like getting the general themes and getting like the broad uh origin story told in like mo then modern time was very very like well handled i think my biggest detractions for this movie are the way the action sequences are shot it just feels very very uh warner brothers soderbergh-esque like a lot of just like quick inserts of like punches and stuff and i get it's supposed to be like more or less from like the criminal's perspective of how this like combat with this man in a suit would go but to me it's just it feels like i'm watching a jason bourne movie whenever the action starts and then it like quickly gets back to a story i care about i i don't know i i also i i don't love liam neeson in this movie i think he gets like the broad tone of Rachel Ghoul. Uh he, he gets that character right, but I don't like how the character disappears for over half the movie and then comes back to be a third act villain. It feels forced. Eh, I don't know if it feels forced. I get where you're coming from because like, you know, we've talked about third act villains a lot on this show, but I feel like the way that it's handled here where it's like Batman is like, he leaves the League of Shadows to become this crime fighter in Gotham and then like the Scarecrow is up to no good. What's he doing? Why is he doing this? oh, the League of Shadows is trying to destroy Gotham City like they said they were going to do in Act 1. I do quite enjoy this movie, but... I might be alone on this, but this movie is not the lowest in this trilogy for me. I have The Dark Knight Rises lower. I agree. 
even compared to the dark knight i feel like it deals more heavily with batman's iconography and it has a little bit more fun with it like sure they're putting their own spin on things like introducing like his childhood best friend rachel take the dark knight for example just to compare it like we're missing wayne manor the bat cave like a lot of i don't think that equals more fun though no it doesn't equal more fun but just the general tone of batman begins it has more fun with it. Like I was talking about this before we started recording. There are a few little tongue in cheeks moments that happen in the dark Knight, And there are a couple more that happen in the dark Knight rises. Ultimately the dark Knight rises doesn't have the story that I feel supports it. And Batman begins has the most just straight up silly moments out of both of the other ones. And I love it for it. There's a sequence in the third act when Gotham is being destroyed by the scarecrow's toxin. And they're like league of shadow agents coming and trying to get everybody to kill each other. And Batman just blows through a wall in Arkham Asylum and walks through two, like, serial killer cells and just says, excuse me, and just continues on his way. It's just amazing. I think Christian Bale is severely underrated in the role of both Bruce Wayne and Batman. Like, Michael Keaton is my favorite, like, Batman. I think Christian Bale, like, I I love him in the role. I think he always gets shafted when talking about uh, Batman and the history of film. Keaton or Ben Affleck or um, Conroy, but I don't know why, but Bale seems to get lost in the shuffle, even though it's a great actor playing an iconic character. Where are they? Where are the other drugs going? Especially in Batman Begins, I feel like he's trying to maneuver the suit, which is something that was always really awkward in the Keaton movies that I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's like he can't turn his head, so like all the like punches are just thrown with like these wildly like wide hooks. Christian Bale is a great actor, knocks Bruce Wayne out of the park, and yeah, you're right. His Batman does get a little overlooked compared to other portrayals. Speaking of his portrayal of Bruce Wayne, though, and just going back to like how silly Batman Begins is between the two, we get a lot more Bruce Wayne in this movie, both dramatic and comedic, but like the scene where he walks into the restaurant with the two like Russian underwear models and they start swimming in the pool and the guy comes up and he's like, they can't do that. And he's like, yes, they can. I'm buying the plates. And then he jumps in the pool with them. Like, come on, man. I like Batman Begins. I also like Batman Begins, but I don't know. We're comparing it to like, if this was a list of like Batman movies, this would be a different story, but we're comparing it to Christopher Nolan's filmography. So it got a little lower on my list. Yeah, I see that. Jory. To you, with number six, what is the next Batman movie being placed? Number six, yeah, I guess it is going to be a Batman movie. It's going to be The Dark Knight Rises. Damn. It's the next lowest movie on my list. It's my number five. We're not far off. Yeah, like, I like The Dark Knight Rises well enough, but I feel like it's just, it's very prevalent that this movie, unfortunately, I believe the biggest thing that it's suffering from is Christopher Nolan's dedication, I should say, to not wanting to mention the Joker post Heath Ledger's death, which to a degree I can understand, but I feel like it really, really just leaves an elephant in the room, this entire movie. And it creates a few narrative holes that they try their best to fill, but it doesn't always work. I didn't really have a problem with it. I didn't really notice it until more like reviewings. Um, I really like this movie, and as somebody who likes Iron Man 3 and, like, other superhero movies, I tend to like movies where they strip the hero of everything, and one of my favorite sequences in the movie is when he's 
trapped in that fucking uh the pit and everybody's going hish, hish, ha, 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 ha. i really like all that and i like i like the kind of swerve where that's kind of i like the music in this movie where in the beginning that score is used for bane because the, like you've learned that he's the child who got out and then you learn that it wasn't and then they use that score for bruce wayne when he gets out i really like it i think this movie has a lot of underrated um has a lot of underrated aspects of it i really like tom hardy in the role of bane uh yeah he died like a bitch but um before that the opening sequence of the dark knight rises what what more can you say about it <laughs> josh i'll be with you right there and say it's the best thing that nolan has ever filmed <laughs> <laughs> the opening to the dark knight rises is amazing i remember like sitting in the theater watching it at midnight and being like this is going to be better than the dark knight yeah i really really love the first fight scene with bane too which has been like memed to high hell now with like uh, f- the filthy frank pink guy like behind bane but um <laughs> I love fucking how Batman goes so confidently into this fight. He like tracks him down to the sewer and then just gets his shit rock. You kind of have like a Rocky movie in the middle of this Batman movie. And I agree, Josh, the strongest element is kind of this, this hero stripped away from his like from his powers i think it might be the weakest film in the trilogy in terms of like this overall story but i don't think that this trilogy really even works as like a beginning middle end because that middle is so high it's such a high point in the trilogy it's also like the story where you get the most iconic villain and the movie almost just sets up that most iconic villain like the what if scenario if Heath Ledger didn't pass Dark Knight Rises would have looked like an entirely different movie and probably wouldn't have even been called The Dark Knight Rises I'm pretty sure if Heath Ledger didn't pass The Dark Knight Rises would not have been the final movie in this Uh, maybe the last one with Nolan I don't know if he would have stuck around for too too many of these Alden I want to hear your take between uh, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight Rises where do you where does your preference kind of lie uh well they're being six and seven right um so i have them flipped uh i have the dark knight rises at seven and batman begins at six i do prefer more of the uh i guess it's not lore building because it already exists but in that essence batman begins is just a little more interesting of a film it's a lot more fun kind of to to go through an experience whereas the dark knight rises is just a slow burn to a climax that's not it's not what you expect it to be i feel like it's an odd mix of them trying to conclude a story that's been like set up by this like sort of makeshift trilogy but they're also introducing new elements and not really doing it particularly well yeah anne hathaway is catwoman in this movie always sticks out like a sore thumb to me every time i watch it i don't mind her portrayal of the character it just doesn't feel like that character should be catwoman if that makes sense to me it feels like she's really underthought. like it seems like she's there because it's like okay it's the third batman movie we've got to introduce catwoman at some point we've got to introduce robin at some point so like let's sort of do it i feel like the robin thing was just kind of it was such a meme because like Nolan always said, he would never put a Robin in the movies. It's an end credit scene. It was a meme. He was done making these movies. It was definitely a meme. This really pissed me off too. But I've I've come to I've come to terms with it. But I'm just saying that it says something about the treatment of the new elements that they introduce in this movie. Like Talia Al Ghul just like showing up. Also, it's like there these are like three characters that kind of just come out of nowhere and are supposed to be important. Yeah, the Talia Al Ghul thing is like I guess the closest thing they 
could do to tie this movie into the trilogy because like oh we have to go back to batman's origin in a way and like he got trained by the league of shadows and now the league of shadows are his final villain again again i don't think this is something that was planned i don't think this is where the third movie in the trilogy was gonna go so i agree that it was rushed jory i think that the scene where alfred's crying at bruce wayne's grave i turn over and my dad's theaters in the theater seat next to me the whole alfred bruce like breakup is super undersold in the movie for some reason like to me like that could have been where the heart of this story was because that felt like a more natural way to tie it into the trilogy because it was a big moment in the dark night where alfred like burns the letter that rachel wrote to bruce about like i'm done with you essentially i'm gonna marry harvey i i like it because it's it's another element of stripping the hero away i want more of that and not just like it's it exists in this movie i guess in this trilogy it does like i guess rachel is kind of bruce's rock in this story although it that part is undersold in all three movies yeah yeah so i think like that breakup of uh, alfred and bruce wayne just always felt contrived to me like i understand that yeah his reaction to it is really just like what you're really just gonna be like how dare you lie to me it's like i i'm disowning you now because this thing that happened with someone who's already dead who i couldn't save despite trying you know like it sucks but like i just it doesn't feel like the way that this character at this point in his career as both bruce wayne as a human and this vigilante that he is would turn his back on this man who's like been there for him since day one literally see to me part of the reason why i was like standing so hard for batman begins is like sure i have gripes with it like it's not none of these movies are my take on batman that i like i love the most but like i feel like there's not really anything for me to just full-on scratch my head at like there is in this movie i think what uh the best elements of the dark knight rises though are like how they chose to elevate like the action set pieces from the dark knight which already has phenomenal ones i think like like that the football scene where Bane just takes over, although again has been memed to high hell, is a really great. Of course, the opening sequence is iconic in all sorts of ways. Doctor Pavel, I'm CIA. He's not really Bane. Like, it's not really that big of a problem because he's still a great villain and a great character, but it's like, he's kind of Bane in name only. <laughs> yeah, that was Nolan's intention, though, for the... Yeah, it's the Scarecrow. Yeah, it's the Joker. It's like my take on these characters, but it's like, here's like a terrorist in a mask that's going to take over Gotham, and it's like, wasn't Bane a luchador on drugs? No one's ever really Bane. <laughs> <laughs> like Nate said, I really like the set pieces of it. I think it's like some of the best uh, Nolan cinematography. I mean, this shit was Kino and IMAX. I really like the sequence that was in all the trailers when uh, <laughs> when Batman and Catwoman escape from those thugs on the rooftop and she's like, my mother told me not to get into cars with strange men and he's like, this isn't a car. <laughs> <laughs> the, tra- the trailers for this movie was re- were really good. The Commissioner Gordon in like a hospital. That trailer was Kino. That was a really good teaser. Uh, I think this is a fine place for it. Dark Knight Rises was my number seven. So seeing it at six is cool. Uh, Alden, it's your turn with number six. My bad, number five. Sorry, we are in the top five now. Uh, What have we placed? So at number 11, we have Insomnia. Number 10, Dunkirk. Number nine, Tenet. Eight, Following. Seven, Batman Begins. Six, The Dark Knight Rises. All right. Well, I'm going to ask how far up you want Inception. Higher than This is fine. Um, I don't want to waste this, but all of these other ones I find 
a lot better than Inception. This is the part where we debate, right? No, not yet. No, 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 no. This is technically Alden's nomination. We are debating at four because that's when the vetoes were done because there's four of us, four vetoes. Oh, fuck. But it sounds like Alden's trying to open the floor here to, to Inception. Inception is my number four. I wouldn't be heartbroken if it was number five on this list. I would like to hear a really good case for why Interstellar is all around a better movie, but... This is where I say Inception is my number one. Would be a fucking crime if... If interstellar it goes higher than it <laughs> this is where i say as the second biggest interstellar fan interstellar is at number five on my list <laughs> i love inception i think the cast is really good i had a really solid rewatch um it ultimately hit my number one just because i didn't want the dark knight at number one again but but okay this is why i love inception <laughs> i love the premise of the whole film where they're essentially putting together a movie the cast is i like leonardo dicaprio's character is like the director of all this then you have the set design tom hardy's character is kind of like the makeup artist when you look at the film in that perspective i really like it i like how these characters are brought together and i i don't know i you say the movie didn't leave you with anything after one viewing i think that's even if you look at it that way i've I've seen the movie multiple times and got more out of it in rewatches. Even if you look at it that way, I, I think that's that's good. It gives you a beginning, middle, and end, and not like some of these other Nolan movies where I'm like, they, they gave me a beginning, and Interstellar kind of tried to give me an end. It, it really tried. Yeah, Interstellar ends with sequel bait. It's really odd, even as someone who really likes that movie. <laughs> Like, at least with Inception, there's an ending. Like, I don't care who says his fucking token starts wiggling. Like, it's the end of the movie. He's also wearing the wedding ring, as obviously in, in fucking Inception explained videos. His real totem is his wedding ring, and the, t the top was his wife's. So his wife gave him top? <laughs> yes, for 80 years. I don't care if it's not number one on, the, on our panel list, but I... I don't think it should be here. So before I made my like decisions last night to kind of structure my list based on the, the elements in which I think like Nolan contributes the best, where I had Interstellar at number 11, I think that in a lot of the same ways that like Dunkirk doesn't work for Jory, Interstellar did not work for me. And it wasn't because of the characters. I think that the characters in Interstellar are one of the strongest elements. Uh, besides the technical achievements and like the visuals, the the score is one of the worst scores I have ever heard in any fucking movie ever. It overpowers the entire fucking sound mix through essential dialogue i've seen this movie like three or four times because the first time i saw it it was right after i saw the movie birdman for the first time and i was like wow this is not good i just like didn't think i got what i needed to out of seeing it in imax which is like the way it's intended to be seen i think the more i get out of it is is always in the first and second act the ending gets worse with every rewatch i don't think i could say the same thing about inception or any of the other movies in our top five i will will say at least no matter what happens here alden i think that these top five movies are the ones that do benefit from rewatches the most that are the most invocative of nolan's style whether whether for better or worse uh with interstellar i kept on putting it up because of how ambitious it is and the things that it's trying to achieve i think matthew mcconaughey gives one of his best performances in this movie i think it might be his best performance it's really not but anyway josh what's your top five matthew mcconaughey ranking uh performance rankings keep in mind i put the beach bum right below it yeah beach bum's close <laughs> 
<laughs> that scene where his wife dies in Beach Bomb actually had me crying on a rewatch. Do you really think the score in Interstellar is better? Is it just like him trying to do what he now does for every movie for the sound mix and only really figuring it out with Dunkirk? Hans Zimmer falling asleep on an organ is the problem. It's supposed to be an homage to 2001 though i know what it's supposed to be an homage to but 2001 used classical music and then han zimmer is just literally hitting the same three or four notes on a on a organ and is like this is what yeah it gets repeated a lot but it's like it's the ending cue from the title card i liked it <laughs> but i think that's the biggest detriment to the movie is when you start comparing it to 2001 i saw interstellar when it came out in theaters so what was that like 2013 i have yet to rewatch it in full you probably should the ending is a bra moment, but like I promise you, just like Nate said, those first two acts are still as solid as ever. And I think that they get better with three one. Like I think they're fine. But like once he like once he falls into like the never ending loop of bookcases or whatever I i'm done i'm done i would want to turn it off like 2001 i just saw for the first time in 2020 would love to go back and rewatch that movie because i think there's more depth to it that's my problem with interstellar i think with it not his take on 2001 but him trying to do that type of movie it came off very just i think he's trying to do that type of movie though i think he's also just trying to do an like a quote-unquote space opera it's a space opera with no depth going for the heady themes that kubrick was going for and it's evident when you watch the movie you're watching it and you're like okay so like this is obvious there's no star child in this movie it's not as ambiguous it tells you what's happening the whole like love thing is a little heavy-handed but what i appreciate about this movie compared to some of the more esoteric takes that he does later like a tenet for example the ethos behind this movie it's so clear and understandable there's a reason that it works up until the point where it does try to go a little off the deep end the whole love thing and then Matt Damon shows up and his name is Dr. Man. I'm not going to not going to say anything more about that. But the themes of it is like it's nothing complex. Like he doesn't he never tries to go in depth about it. It doesn't have to be. We're watching. He made he made three Batman movies before he made this movie. I feel like it's not really that big of a crime that he wanted to make a space opera next. That was like another blockbuster. But then you have like stands who compare this to 2001. Yeah, but you also have people that think that Nolan is like one of the greatest directors to ever live. And it's just like, mm. <laughs> I think if anything's true, guys, we can all agree that Turtles is not going to be the 2001 of the MCU. <laughs> have you seen 2001? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> so Alden, congratulations. You were the spark that ignited the flame of this uh, very hotly debated <laughs> number five spot what are your thoughts here man maybe i should have rewatched uh inception before this because i still just don't care about it all right so interstellar is number five let's move on no inception is number five no, it's not. i'm placing it here all right inception number five we are moving into the top four if any of us had vetoes left we wouldn't be allowed to use them now as we are going in to the true debate the last four movies standing are interstellar the dark knight the Prestige and Memento. The last three movies standing are The Prestige, Memento, and The Dark Knight. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe Interstellar's gotten this high. How did how did this happen? We're smarter than this. I'm not going to say it was three vetoes being used in the first round, but I am sorry for starting a trend here, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized I had Memento lower than Interstellar, but I'm so pissed off. Inception's at five. I think Interstellar should go here. Yeah, it should. I have Memento below Interstellar as well. What the fuck is wrong with both of you? I'm not affiliated with you. <laughs> 
I also do want to say, I know Josh said it about The Dark Knight Rises, but I think Interstellar is a strong candidate for the most beautifully shot film he's got. Sure, a lot of it is just straight effects, but like, goddamn, it's pretty. Yeah, it does look good. I remember people having like Interstellar phone wallpapers and shit when it came out. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the first IMAX sequence in the movie when they're just like plowing through cornfields with the truck following the drone. That shit's so good looking like it's amazing and timothy chalamet is sitting next to him in the front seat wow <laughs> there was at a time where interstellar was my favorite movie of that year and that birdman came out yeah i saw birdman after this movie so i was pretty satisfied with both watches <laughs> so anyways now that interstellar is one place higher than it should have been <laughs> uh so we got memento dark knight and the prestige left right yep how about just food for thought what's everybody's next lowest movie memento Memento. Mine is The Dark Knight. Mine is also The Dark Knight. Damn, Memento was high on y'all's list. That is. I, I really, really like Memento. Um, it, it was one of the first, like, uh, I guess, like, mind-bendy or, like, non-linear movies that I saw, but it was also one of those that was recommended to me for a different reason. One of my first, I guess, like R-rated movies that I just fell in love with was David Fincher's Seven. I was talking to my friend, if you're going to watch, a, like if you want a movie that's like similar in vain to that, definitely check out like Nolan's, one of Nolan's first movies, Memento. And so I kind of went into it like expecting it to be this like dark mystery. And I didn't know too much about like the presentation about it or the structure. And I love the way that this movie is directed in the way that the story unfolds. It benefits itself to a second watch better than any movie I can think of. It has like a, a twist ending that's spoiled at the very beginning and then it comes back to you at the end and you understand the context of it. You're kind of wanting to rewatch the movie right after again because the scenes play in reverse which is just it's so mind-boggling and it's such a tight script even today when i re-watched it again there were elements that i was missing from like the other four or five times i had seen it and i was like oh that happened because of this or i think it's a little in your face in its style but i mean what nolan movie isn't something else just to say about it is like well like the whole thing is told from like a reverse perspective isn't that not much more than a gimmick for the most part in another director's hands i would say yes but it works so well in this movie that even on that first rewatch you're keeping up with it it's never confusing in the way that Tenet is, where you're just like, wait, wh what's happening? Despite the fact that the movie is literally told to you in reverse order. It still makes sense, and the ending recontextualizes the entire thing to the point that you immediately want to jump back. Yeah, these like scenes that are kind of explaining how Guy Pierce's character kind of like came into this story as it's happening, supposedly, and like what he was doing before he got into this like mystery. And it's the guy from Groundhog Day who's telling him to that first step's a doozy that guy's incredible I, I love the cast of this relatively small movie too uh, i think it's joe pantoliano's best performance like hands down Great. the chick from the matrix is good too as um natalie and the guy from the matrix are really good in this movie <laughs> yeah yeah joe pantoliano one of my favorite character actors ever i like this movie i think it's a really good guy pierce performance Oh, yeah, it's the Guy Pierce performance. Yes. I had it low on the list because I didn't really care for the script, actually. I found it repetitive at times, and it kind of annoyed me. It felt like he would do something. It would cut to the black and white where he's on the phone, and then you would see what happened right before that, and I felt like it did it like four times. This is like in the second act. The first two times, I was like, "This is, okay, this is 
interesting. But I, I didn't like how it was non-linear, but it was in order at the same time. It had Nolanisms that kind of annoyed me. And uh, that's why I think it went lower on my list. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's as well uh, paced and as some of these other films. Like the two movies we're kind of debating for this spot, I guess, is Memento and The Dark Knight. I think these two are highly regarded as his like best movies by a lot of people. Um, and I think that they're really hard to compare directly because one is such a small movie and another one is regarded as one of the best cape shit movies of all time. One is this kind of relatively grounded, only a few characters, a few repetitive locations and uh, this like little grounded mystery. And then the other one is you've got this huge ensemble cast. You don't have one villain. You've got multiple. This like underlying theme of crime and chaos in a large city. Corruption, bad cops. There's so many elements in The Dark Knight that work really well, where like going blow for blow, they're not really comparable to me. I think that the closest comparison I can think of is that you could say that Leonard's arc in this movie is really similar to um, to Harvey Dent's arc in The Dark Knight, where it's that whole, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. But you actively see Lenny getting manipulated from his point of view to believe that the only person that's like with him and trying to help him is actually actively like working towards his detriment and actually did do this horrible thing to him. And it sets him up to eventually be killed by him in the way that he's used him to kill many other criminals in the past the premise is like a bit of a gimmick i like that it ties into the main characters uh like the the way his his brain works and there's a reason yeah there's like there's an actual like narrative reason for why this story is being told this way and like the just the motivation behind every action is really interesting i think it's a tight script there's not too much i would like change i I think it's actually like a perfect movie there's nothing else like it i hate to lean on this argument too but uh josh i know that you recently watched this movie for the first time correct i don't think re-watching would help i feel like i caught on to the repetitiveness in the first time and i think the second time would only make it worse i really just don't think it's a that well-paced of a movie. I do not see what you guys are saying when it comes to that. There were parts I felt it was dragging on, uh, but overall, I don't think it was that bad. I think he has worse pacing in some other films of his. It's based on a short story written by Jonathan Nolan, right? I could see it working really well as a short story. I think it was just stretched a little too long for me. I could see it, but I think I think a lot of, like if it was a, like a whole, a whole ass novel or something, I feel like that's worse to try to condense into an hour and a half long movie than it is to stretch a short story into a 90 minute one the short story that it's based off of is a lot different there's a lot of different things that unfold especially in the way that uh the relationship between like strings are being pulled by him but not on purpose and so that alone kind of changes the whole narrative and tone of the of this i feel like if you take her out of the whole movie i don't know what changes well she's the entire reason that he thought that cypher was working against him she basically manipulated him into killing his friend yeah it's true it's just took a long time to get there (laughs) i mean it's only like 90 minutes right like i feel like this movie is like the perfect length any shorter 
point where it's like, okay, well, that was a fun little gimmick, but any longer and it overstays its welcome. Right. It's nonlinear, but then it also has a, but then it also has a certain pattern to it. I don't know at that point, why are you doing a nonlinear at that point? If you're still going to add like a certain pattern to it, the character doesn't remember what he's doing at any given time. So if you present the story from a reverse order in every scene, the audience also has to get their bearings like the character and it works extremely well. But the character doesn't get its bearings by going backwards because the character doesn't remember it. No, but it's his notes. His notes are going backwards. Every time he has to look at his notes, he is trying to figure out where he goes next based on what he has already written down or taken pictures of. As an audience, we don't need to do that. We can just watch it happen in reverse, how he seems to figure it out on his own. I found the nonlinear repetitive somehow, and I, it just annoyed me. I think that was my favorite part. But I think we've run into the, this a couple times on our show where we've had like a hard time, like flaws in the Dark Knight. And I have gone on record saying that I think it's the godfather of this generation of cinema, which I think a lot of people would say is like a cringe take. But when you look at the trends and you look at what's still popular in box offices i really think that this stands out as one of the greatest superhero movies of all time but also one of the greatest like crime thrillers uh of recent time as well it's a really hard movie to poke holes into and i'm not even going to way they handle harvey dent in this movie is so fucking underrated everyone wants to talk about heath ledger's performance as the joker in this movie and while i think it's a big part and especially has like the most memorable scenes i think both the character and the heart of this entire movie rides on aaron eckhart's portrayal as harvey dent both batman's motivation for uh like losing rachel and the anger that he's expressing towards the back half of this movie and the reason he makes the the decisions that he does all derives from there one of the critiques you could have for some of nolan's lesser movies uh is like a lack of character and i think that the reason the dark knight is what it is is because of the way that that particular character is handled we were talking about how following has an influence for nolan's movies and i think we see that in cobb's character in following where he's manipulating the world in such a small scale but then we see that years later of what that idea turned into heath ledger's joker i think there is actually a connection between those two characters of what uh, Christopher Nolan was going for where wasn't about greed but it was also the Joker and Cobb's characters are kind of used as reminders to kind of like a wake-up call for society I know that's a sh- <laughs> I know that's a, not a word I should the Joker but yeah there's a one pacing issue that I have with the Dark Knight I think the part where he's like going to China and then like I get like all of that the entire Hong Kong sequence. You kind of need to set up the fact that Lucius Fox has like this, like, uh, like the cell phone interface that like kind of comes back into the third act. This movie has like five climaxes because it's so well paced. There's like five major uh confrontations with batman and a villain and i think that's what really works well about it because just how versatile batman is as a character literally fucking anything and i don't think that you can really say the same for almost any other comic book character like the only one that comes even close that i can think of is like you could say spider-man has also been to a lot of the same places after batman and not in the same capacity there was a lot of controversy when dc tried to do the same thing and make a grounded version of superman in 2013 i don't 
don't think that the grounded realistic thing works for everybody. It definitely feels, for me at least, very of its time in the treatment of its take on these characters. And that's not a bad thing. Like we were saying before, like this has been the template for such a long time. And I have to wonder if it's been successful for anything as well as it's been successful for this movie. So Alden, uh, you said you really liked the concept of memento and you thought like the framing device and the way that like the memory and the reverse order of scenes was like your favorite element why do you think that that doesn't carry as strong as liking the dark knight uh for what it is i just nolan did a really good job telling a story backwards and that cannot be understated however that is one of its strongest points is how well it was done. I think the the characters are fine and everything, but because it is told backwards and in different sequences, the flow of it does get difficult. And I think that's kind of what Josh was saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, that does pose a lot of problems and could kind of ostracize some of the audience. A lot of people might not be able to follow it easy or may not like that it flows that way, but I really like it. However, I think, as you said, it's just hard to poke holes into the Dark Knight. There's a few things that I I have issues with, but nothing more than it's really long. And that's fine because you're watching like three to five movies in one. I think Memento, its story is not good enough for it to be as long as that movie was. And it's not even a long movie. Yeah, I see what we're saying here. I think I think we probably should go with the Dark Knight over Memento, which I woke up this morning and Memento was my number one. I, again, think it's a perfect movie, and I, I think you could probably say the same thing for the Dark Knight. There's not too much you could change. I, I think we got to go with the safe choice here, which isn't always the right choice, but in this case, I, I do think it is. Wait, 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 wait. Was Memento still your number one on the list? No, it is not. Okay. I didn't know if you were about to pull a take that the prestige should be at number three. <laughs> no. What the fuck? <laughs> I was thinking of that. I'm like, wait, where the, where's the prestige on this list? Dark Knight is going to be number two and Memento is number three. Don't believe his lies. Oh, damn. We're not even going to debate this. I, I guess this is the next debate. Fine having a conversation, but I, I am not upset at this. The prestige versus the Dark Knight. Here it is. For the number one and number two Nolan movie. My first point and my only point is that the magic tricks and the prestige are much cooler than the single magic trick in The Dark Knight. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point, Jory. That is a very good point. From a duel of the takes lore standpoint, I don't want The Dark Knight at number one again. Yeah, the prestige is very good. Um, It was my number three on my list. I had the dark knight over it but really those two movies can the only reason why the prestige was number three on my list and the dark knight and inception was over it the biggest thing was time i've been able to rewatch my number one and number two for almost a decade now and i just watched the prestige this week i think like you give me a couple of years the prestige could definitely be my number one yeah that was really the only big factor and uh yeah it's it's hard to argue i think the prestige <laughs> is very good one of the best like rivalry movies just seen in general it's with like rush for instance yeah (laughs) is that gonna be a new topic best rivalry movie top 10 rivalry movies number three cars (laughs) ka-chow there aren't any rivalry movies damn i'm trying to think of rivalry movies now the prestige is a very very ambitious movie and structurally it's kind of like it's like one of the most basic in terms of its presentation 
from Christopher Nolan. It's cinematography is nothing too flashy. I guess like the fact that it's probably his only period piece. It, well, I guess before besides Dunkirk, the char- the Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale's characters, you could say that it is similar to following where it is kind of a rivalry in following without the characters unconsciously knowing where in the prestige they are consciously rivals these two fuckers hate each other by the end of the movie yeah i think there's definitely an element there this movie it's interesting because i don't think it's carried by the usual nolamisms um i think it's really carried about its two it's really carried by its two main characters and it's a it's a good script it's a tight it's a tight story yeah i think without the performances this movie could have been kind of dumb when you think about it, it's a movie about magicians and shit. Like this movie could have been really dumb if 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 it wasn't in the right hands. So you used the uh, kind of like uh, metaphor in your description of like Inception, where like you could see um, uh, you know Cobb being the director, and then you've got uh, Elliot Page as like the architect or like set builder. You've got like all these different characters. Tom Hardy's like oh I know you said he was the wardrobe or whatever yeah you kind of have like these different compartments like this heist is kind of a metaphor for making a movie or telling a story in general i love i love that analogy i feel like it applies really well to the prestige too uh this is just a more broader stroke of like art in general and the fact that it bookends with not only the the scene of apparently christian bale's killing of Hugh Jackman which I love the fucking twist at the end of this movie it has got to be one of the best movie twists of all time but I think you could say that about like um how different people view art as Hugh Jackman's magician is kind of seen as this more like highbrow uh he's pulling in big crowds he's got all these tickets and then every time you see Christian Bale magician perform it's like kind of a little dirtier and dingy but he's the better magician Hugh Jackman even admits it and I think that that's like a really interesting dynamic is you can almost see that in Nolan's own filmography is there's these high budget uh you know super lush well-produced movies but then there's these dirtier little stories like following or memento that really really work too and that's kind of why I think you get the best of both both in Prestige. The reason I woke up this morning with Memento as my number one was because I was like, that script is so tight. It's so fresh in my head. It stands out to me as one of the best uh, movies from like a single voice or like an, an artistic vision. And then watching the Prestige again today as well, I was like, you know what? This has that same feeling, but it's bigger. It's it's a blockbuster. It really is. You've got such a fucking amazing cast. This might be Nolan's best cast. I think Inception's close, but this might be better. Yo, David Bowie is not in Inception. David Bowie's not in Inception. Andy Serkis is not in Inception. Scarlett Johansson is not in Inception. Hugh Jackman's not in Inception. Michael Caine's performance in uh, The Prestige is the best Michael Caine performance in any of these fucking uh, Christopher Nolan movies. Not in Tenet? No, definitely not in Tenet, my guy. (laughs) Able and dinner for like three weeks he asked can i have this wrapped no and i'm like why (laughs) it's just that class of restaurant robert pattinson traveled back in time and told the waiter no he's not allowed to wrap his food if he if he eats it in the car ride home he wrecks his car three will begin in the entire world as we know it will end he's like damn i'll give him a pat i did find one flaw in the prestige 
It's the end credits song. Why the fuck is it not Man in the Box by Alice in Chains? Oh my god. Were you the man who put Memento at number two or number three? <laughs> we took turns. Yeah, that twist is so great. I shouldn't be asking this on the podcast, so I'll look like an idiot. It's fine, I'll cut it out. That's Christian Bale. So Christian Bale's character, he has a brother, right? Yes, he has a twin brother. Okay, I wasn't tripping where like he had a clone machine too, okay? Oh, good, because upon a rewatch, you're like, I, I'm such a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. Even like right in the very beginning when uh, Christian Bale's character the kid like the birdcage trick and he's like but where's his brother and i'm just like fuck i watched this movie with my uh sister she fuck she fucking figured it out she big brained me they hammer it into your head the entire movie but like you're in algiers's shoes hugh jackman's shoes where he's like no it can't be that simple the trick is too good i'm like man they're putting a lot of screen time on uh hugh jackman's uh trainer or the person who sets up the tricks michael kane and they're not really putting any screen time on christian bales and i even remember thinking damn that's a really lack of character and then the ending happens and you're like yo yeah they don't even show a close-up of his face until the final prison scene yeah Mm -hmm. i think like in terms of twist endings in movies uh the first one that always comes to mind is like an example is uh the sixth sense and when you go back and watch that movie after knowing the twist at the end it's really 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 in your face and i think that's why people are like it's one of the best twists ever it makes the second viewing so much better i'll never be able to watch the sixth sense with that <laughs> viewing i think that this even knocks that out of the park because uh it, it it's even in the theming of the movie uh the first scene where hugh jackman and christian bale they go to see a different magician perform separately and Christian Bale's way better at figuring out how tricks are done. And the like the uh, sh- the guys like walk into his car in the street and he's like this crippled old man. And then Hugh Jackman is jacked. He's got his like eight pack abs and his wife's like sitting on the bed and he's like, I can't perform this. And like Christian Bale was like, no, it's that's just the way it is. Like he's playing a character his whole life to get this like nailed perfectly. And I, I think it's, I think it's awesome. It says a lot about like just artistic integrity in general. You know, the scene where, uh, where the twin like chops off his fingers also, I'm always like, bro, I would have tapped out here. <laughs> I do not love my brother. <laughs> oh, there was another thing I wanted to say. The relationship that uh, one of the Christian Bale characters has with the, the wife and how like whenever he says, I love you, she's like not today and like she can tell which one is which like it's just little stuff like that that goes into making this movie as incredible as it is do you think uh that note that um christian bale hands hugh jackman and when he's like about to get hanged set like that do you think that note was i have a twin brother or do you think he was not going to reveal that to hugh jackman because he just rips it up and is like ha the, uh, i'm better than you at that point in the story i think he would have because like as much as when i think this movie i don't want to consider hugh jackman to be like the villain he's so lost his way and is doing this to himself every night just to spite him essentially to be the better magician and to prove a point yeah i do really believe that christian bale's character would have just told him because in the end he does just tell him you don't love either one of these characters they're both really fucked up people and they're both bad and you kind of understand why but at the very end of the movie when the brother gets to kill hugh jackman he like says you've spent all this money you traveled across the world you did you know all of this just to do what to be a horrible person to put 
you clones of yourself to death like every single night like you're the like you're the problem i think that's like again echoing that theme of artistic integrity christian bale might have been a bad person in this movie but he was a good artist and i think hugh jackman was never a good artist and lost being a good person along the way so hugh jackman's character would like clone himself right but when he has the prestige at the end of the performance that's always the real him right yeah yeah, so yeah. when he clones himself, do they just spawn in the tank? Wait, is that the real him? Because I thought that was like the whole dichotomy of like, were you the man who went in the box or the man who came out? And he like doesn't know which one he's going to be every time. Like I always just assumed that all the clones had the same like memories and consciousness. I always thought that he was the man who came out of the box because the man that went in was the one that gets stuck in the in the tube teleporting man trick initially where they they have it rigged and they've got an actor on the other side Th like he he's disappointed that he doesn't get the spotlight and so i think he rigged it so he would always get the spotlight that's what he really wanted he didn't want he didn't want like to be ignored he didn't want to be that thing so he made all of his clones do it he wanted to get the recognition for doing something amazing yeah the first time he does the uh, the transporting man at tesla's lab then the one that's standing in the machine shoots the one that's outside of it. So does the real one just die there and then a clone is there for the rest of it? I, I saw it as the original killed the one when he first used the machine. Killed the clone. I think he is the clone every night. But I, I get what Jory's saying because the person that comes out of the machine then is it's transported. That's what's confusing me about the whole like tank thing. I think that it also doesn't matter. Like, that's the question. It's like, were you the man going in the box of the man who came out? And like Christian Bale's like, it, it doesn't matter. We took turns. It's all that matters to you, but it it isn't the point of doing magic. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I think this, that this is like a perfect movie. And I think that even after all these like watches, that there's still things you can kind of find or like little hints that like lead to that twist. The, the kid his nephew literally saying, you know, what about his brother? It's like so on the nose, but it's so great upon a rewatch. They're, they're saying about how Hugh Jackman was always afraid to get his hands dirty when he was working under Michael Caine is such like a good theme too, where the reason he was never able to succeed as a magician was because he was always too afraid to do tricks that could end poorly, even before his wife's passing. And uh, I also like how I think Christian Bale's character is honestly saying he doesn't remember which, which, uh, not he tied every single time he's confronted. I find it interesting too that Christian Bale's character wouldn't even physically kill Hugh Jackman till the very end. Like he was straight up going to save him in the bank. I feel like it's because at that point his hand was forced. I mean, he had he had his brother in jail on death row. Like it, at that point, it was like all right. That's what's interesting about the character is like I feel Hugh Jackman was willing to go as far as possible, and I think, but then Christian Bale's character still had some integrity i wonder if that's because like he got to have the life he did in like hugh jackman's character had those big crowds in that but the real jealousy was that christian bale's character had the wife and had the child it's it's cool to yeah it's cool to dive in those characters good job christopher nolan yes sweet well before i read the final list does everyone want to read their personal ones sure shall we start with josh mine's a mess number 11 tenet number 10 Dunkirk. Number nine, Batman Begins. Number eight, Insomnia. Number seven, Memento. Number six, Interstellar. Number five, The Dark Knight Rises. Number four, Following. Number three, The Prestige. Number two, The Dark Knight. And number one, Inception. Number 11, Dunkirk. Number 10, Tenet. Number nine, Insomnia. 
Number eight, The Dark Knight Rises. Number seven, Following. Number six, Batman Begins. Number five, Interstellar. Number four, The Dark Knight. Number three, Inception. Number two, Memento. And number one, The Prestige. Eleven, Inception. Bruh. Ten, Insomnia. Nine, Following. Eight, Tenet. Seven, The Dark Knight Rises. Six, Batman Begins. Five, Dunkirk. Four, Memento. Three, Interstellar. Two, The Prestige. And one, The Dark Knight. So does that mean The Prestige has hit your top five films of all time? And Memento. Is this now your top five films of all time? No. But The Prestige might be in there now. (laughs) (laughs) Noise. All right, my list is number 11, Insomnia. Number 10, Following. Nine, Batman Begins. Eight, Dunkirk. Seven, The Dark Knight Rises. Six, Interstellar. Five, Tenet. Four, Inception. Three, The Dark Knight. Two, Memento. And one, The Prestige. Bro, you really like Tenet. I think it's the most fun movie. If I were to watch any of these with my like brain turned off, it'd be that one. Now knowing that you don't need to use your brain to enjoy it. Mine would be Batman Begins. Yeah, and I think like your in your case, Josh, yours is The Dark Knight Rises. I think those three movies are very similar. Aside from Tenet, I feel like our like our takes are very similar though, Nate. Same uh, vibes there with Interstellar and Batman Begins. All right, and here it is: our the duel of the takes. Nolan's filmography ranked up until now, February 2021. We don't know what he's got in store next. Maybe a Bollywood movie or two. Number 11, Insomnia. 10, Dunkirk. 9, Tenet. 8, Following. 7, Batman Begins. 6, Dark Knight Rises. 5, Inception. 4, Interstellar. 3, Memento. 2, The Dark Knight. And number 1, the prestige my list was surprisingly close i didn't have anything more than two spaces off yeah i think jory won uh i'd have to do the math but i'm, I'm pretty sure it's him that's good because i don't really care about eddie murphy movies <laughs> <laughs> i don't think we'll have a tie now that malik's joining us what's when's the next video where we'll need a tie break the disney post renaissance uh jory will have oh shit that's a big episode but i have authority on that one. <laughs> oh no Chicken Little's going under, brothers. Damn. Is Meet the Robinsons getting elevated? Yes. I sure hope so. <laughs> Based. Bolt's going under, brother. Bolt is absolutely going under, brother. <laughs> Wait, Jory, brother bear. Our time has come. <laughs> God damn it, no. In Joker 2006. All right, everyone. Leave your Nolan ranking down in the comments section below. I want to hear what everyone's ranking is, because I feel like everyone has slightly different opinions, but at the end of the day... I think Nolan's filmography is pretty solid. I think the fact that we had to all debate amongst ourselves to build our lists and then go into this is pretty interesting. I think it's it's cool. You can't just like gut reaction most of his movies. Yeah, I legit don't think there's a bad movie on this list. Listen, there's an entire island of people who appreciate Dunkirk. <laughs> Listen, Dunkirk is number one on Tar- num- <laughs> Dunkirk is number one on Tarantino's list. Yeah, it was number two of his, like, all-time 2010s list. Are we sure that Tarantino doesn't really love Inception, though? Because he started using Leonardo DiCaprio right after that movie. All I'm saying. (laughs) That's true. Very true. Maybe he's just a big Christopher Nolan stand in general. I think he is. He loves nonlinear storytelling, and, I mean, Nolan pretty much always does that to some capacity. Yeah, even in, like, Insomnia, there's that, like, little part at the beginning. I totally lost my train of thought. End the episode. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode of Duel of the Takes. Next week, we'll be joined by special guest Malik DeVise of the Life of Leak podcast and the Jeff and Malik Talk Soccer Show to help us determine the top 10 Eddie Murphy movies in celebration of coming to America, hitting Amazon Video on March 5th. If you want part in the discussion, check out our Instagram and Discord server. Special thanks to Anchor.fm for sponsoring today's episode. And remember, if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.